This is the Building Resilience Podcast, Episode 73, Building Communication Resilience When Connection is Broken, with special guest Sheila McDonald. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that I am holding a special masterclass on May 25th at 12 noon Eastern time. That's a Wednesday. We are going to be talking all about communication. So if you want to join, then the link is in the show notes. You can also go to my Instagram or Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching and sign up. If you're not able to attend it live, then a replay will be sent out. But you don't want to miss this one as we are covering everything you need to know about mastering your communication. So I hope to see you there. Welcome to today's podcast. I am so excited to have a guest on. She has been a mentor and a teacher to me. She is a fellow speech pathologist from Guelph, Ontario. And we are going to be talking today all about communication resilience and communication disability and what happens when communication is broken. Communication is something that is important to all of us. And she is a leading expert when it comes to working with people with communication challenges. So I want to introduce to you Sheila McDonald. She is a speech language pathologist who is passionate about communication and rebuilding competence in those who have experienced communication disability after brain injury. Her work includes the development of two standardized tests, the CABI referral tool, practice guidelines, research, and international collaboration. Her acclaimed clinical short courses draw on years of experience in both hospitals and community practice, where she now assists individuals with return to social, academic, and workplace communications. As a lifelong advocate, she is constantly seeking new ways to repair and celebrate connection. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Sheila McDonald is here with us. Sheila, I am so excited to have you here. And why don't you spend just a minute or so? I know I've given a formal introduction, but just a minute and introduce yourself. Hi, Leah. It's wonderful to be here. And thank you for having me on. And I am really looking forward to our conversation today about communication and connection because I've spent many, many years as a speech language pathologist assisting people from coma to community and return to work again. So coma to community and career. I've been assisting people in the severe stages where they're really just trying to get out their first words. And that's some of the most exciting work that one can do. And then later helping people getting back into college or university or back to the workforce. And that's also equally gratifying. My journey has been about bringing people out and giving 
giving them a voice to accomplish what they would like to in life with communication. Yeah. And I know you've also done incredible work within the community of speech pathologists. And that's where I've had the privilege of learning from you and taking your courses and using your tests, the standardized tests and checklists, which we talked all about when I had Danielle Hyde on. We talked all about your checklist, the cabbie and the communication competence. So I'm sure we'll dive into that in a little bit. Um, We can touch on that. But before we get started, I just wanted to share with our listeners a little bit about why I want to put such an emphasis this month. May is a better speech and hearing month. And last week I did a podcast episode all about connection because connection, I think, is really the foundation of communication. But I just wanted to share with people a few thoughts that I had about communication. And before we dive into getting to hear your expertise in the area of when connection breaks down, because really, if we think what is communication and it's simply the act of transferring information from one place to another. That's, you know, if we're going to break it down without any emotions or anything, it's like going from here to here. And it can fall into different categories. We can have the spoken or verbal, which is what's coming, you know, face to face, the telephone, radio, media, it's through the words. We can have written, which can be in form of, you know, emails or old fashioned writing and what we read from books, all the print visualizations, even graphs and charts. And then of course, there's a nonverbal category, which is something that we often forget, but I mean, I think it's, it's such a huge portion of our communication is nonverbal, that body language and gestures and how we act. And communication then involves the sender and the receiver. There's at least one, sometimes there's multiple receivers that convey that information through a certain channel. And the real point of communication initially is to convey a message. There's a process that you want to understand. But I think the deeper part of it is it's really a sharing of emotions, the ability to express our thoughts, our inner world. And as I talked about last week, it's really about building a relationship. It's the connection. Absolutely. Yeah. I think to add to your point, I think I see communication as connection. It's also competence. It's how people control the world around them and reveal their own competence in life and and get things done that they need to get done, you know. And so it's about competence. It's connection. It's also how people convey their creativity Mm -hmm. and you know what makes you uniquely Leah and what makes me uniquely Sheila is all conveyed through communication Mm -hmm. and then also the the final C I was thinking about is that it's really about our compassion and I I think that's where you were going earlier as well so so I I think of those as the the C's of communication and yeah I I love that you're calling it a connection because I think that sometimes when we say what we are as speech language pathologists, people just think about speech sounds, right. but it's so much more than that. We, we don't have therapists just sitting, getting people to get their sounds out anymore. It's all about what can you convey? How do you convey it? How successful are you? And success is measured by those things we just talked about. Yeah, exactly. And I love that you highlighted the C's. I'm actually working on another podcast episode that will be out in the summer because I was looking at how many words start with C that that are really important. And I was looking at in terms of how do we gain confidence and how do we achieve goals? And I had a list of like eight different C's. And so I 
I'm going to, yes, I'll have to send, tell you about the podcast when it airs, but I'm going to be talking about navigating the seas because it is about competence and capability and connection and courage and compassion and curiosity. And yeah. I'm like, isn't that interesting? And the cool thing about having all those things in your mind at once is that we can be really great at some of them at some times and some at other times, but uh, we're always constantly building, aren't we? We're not always exactly. Uh, yeah. Same with communication, right? Right. And then really the importance of communication is essential for our human development. It's essential for our evolution. It's the basis of all our relationships. And it really is the only way that we have. Well, I I mean, communication, as long as we look at it in the broader spectrum, it's the way that we express our inner world. And I love that you pulled the idea of creativity in there because communication is not just words. Communication comes out in so many different ways and through creativity. And it's our opportunity to learn about other people's worlds that they are able to communicate. We're able to gain an understanding of what's going on in their world. I have. Oh, that's great. I have a story later that, that will touch on that point. I hope Perfect. so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what happens though, when there is the breakdown of communication, and that's yeah. really what I wanted to focus on today because you know, and I'm sure you'll touch on this too. As speech pathologists, we definitely deal when there is a communication disability, when there's a clear breakdown of communication. Although many of us, well, all of us have breakdowns of communication all the time. And that's why I want to bring this to the listeners because everybody out there listening has had an episode of breakdown of communication. And most people will be touched by somebody, either themselves or somebody else that they love having maybe a more significant breakdown of communication. So that's why I wanted to bring you on and to really share with us about what does it look like when this breakdown happens and what does it look like when there is a communication disability? And if you want to just start speaking to that, because I know that this is your expertise. Sure. Yeah. And yours too. So, so with communication disability, you know, we often, I think often this form of disability is not as well known and they don't have a full voice. And so we're just coming into the era now where people are getting a sense of communication disability separate from physical disabilities. I mean, some are linked, but so, you know, how many are there? Let's begin with that. And if you look at the stats, they're really going to vary because there's so many different kinds of communication disabilities. But a rough estimate is about 10% of people in the USA will have some form of concern with comprehension or expression through speech, language, whatever. And yet probably only about one and a half to 2% of those are diagnosed. So it's a little difficult to, and your listeners are probably thinking, well, what do you mean by communication disability then? And so that can be any kind of difficulty with, well, I'll go through my model in a moment, but I'll I'll give you some examples from famous people because that might be an easier way to understand it. So for example, aphasia is a communication disability and Bruce Willis has recently been in the news with this difficulty of words and sentences on the way in and the way out. And aphasia is a difficulty of communication, but thinking is intact. And a, a totally different kind of communication difficulty is stuttering and President Biden has that. Some of you have seen the King's speech, you know, and we're all disfluent to a degree, but it's a matter of uh, degree on a continuum. 
And then with Parkinson's disease, for example, Michael J. Fox has really shed the light on that. And ALS, which is a different kind of communication difficulty, Stephen Hawking has been an incredible model and educator about the idea that you can be brilliant, a brilliant physicist locked in a body that is not communicating very well. And then with cerebral palsy, I don't know if you saw the movie, My Left Foot, that was a wonderful movie to get across that communication disability. So when we've got all these different kinds of communication disability that can happen, how do you take a diagnosis of communication disability or an individual that you know and make some sense of it? So uh, my model of cognitive communication competence, I actually wrote this model when I came home from a conference. Uh, It was an international brain injury conference, and I was kind of watching people present about little snippets of communication, but they didn't have the big picture of all of the many ways in which it can work well and can break down. So I came home from the conference and wrote a list that says something like, get groceries, do laundry, write a new model of cognitive communication competence. And then several years later and 245 references later, it was done. And I'm kind of excited about this article and the model is free online for you. I think you'll put it in the notes. Yeah, I will. I will. I don't know if you remember this, but we were at a conference and you had been, you were working on the model. You had been sharing about it and you pulled out a napkin and you started drawing things out for me. So that was my first introduction of the model. I sort of feel privileged that I got the napkin version of it. Uh, that's great. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think some of the best ideas in life start on napkins, and uh, uh, I know architects use them all the time as well. So, but you know, I realized what we needed was a model that helped us to convey communication in all of its glory and complexity without using all of these diagnostic labels that become overwhelming for people to listen to. So, I'm going to give your listeners a challenge. So, picture a rectangle on the left-hand side. So put your hand up and picture a rectangle there. And that rectangle is you. That's what makes you uniquely you with your ideas and thoughts and intelligence and your communication preferences, what you like to talk about, etc. So that's the individual domain of this model. And then go over a little bit further and picture four circles in the middle. And those are the areas, the domains which have influence on communication. So First of all, we have the domain of cognition or thinking skills. So if your attention, memory, organization mess up, then you're going to have trouble with communication. Then the next circle is called the communication circle. It could also be called the language circle, but I didn't want to confuse it with other things. Anyway, it's the communication circle. And this is where your words and sentences get planned and organized. And as we said, some people can have a problem just with the words and sentences. Mm -hmm they're okay with the thinking, cognitive, cognitive, right? So your third circle is emotions. This is things like depression, anxiety, or even, you know, if you have a fear of public speaking, those can all play to make you more disfluent or less able to start a conversation or afraid to speak, etc. And so it's funny because sometimes when we're as speech paths advocating for a referral for someone because they have communication problems, we'll hear, oh, well, no, it's an emotion 
emotional problem. Yes, yes. You know? I was going to say that. Communication. I know. And, and we can look at it from a different angle. We do not diagnose anxiety or depression, etc. But we definitely help people who mm-hmm. have those difficulties with building their communication That's right. skills after. And yeah. then the fourth circle, if I haven't lost you yet, so you've got your rectangle on the left, your four circles in the middle. Uh, the fourth circle is the physical domain. And this is where a person might have trouble forming the sounds or making their speech sound fluent, etc. And so this would be where you'll have difficulties understanding the person's speech. Mm-hmm. And most people are aware of that circle, right. but they're Get not aware of the other three. Yeah. And so this model then also has an idea of, so overarching over top of those four circles is what we call control factors. And some of you might have heard of the term executive functions, mm-hmm. but it's basically, and you use the word regulation yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where our self-regulation is. Yeah. So I might have all four of my circles and my communication totally intact. But Mm -hmm. if I'm really ticked with someone, my self-regulation could go out the window and my tactful communication might go out the window. And I'm sure that hasn't happened to any of your listeners before. (laughs) So we've all been there where we've had glitches. And if we can understand them in this way, and also communication really varies with context. So our communication is different in different contexts. So if you and I met and we were picking up, remember the days when you were picking up your kids at daycare? If we met in that context, we would be rushed. Why? Because you're charged $5 if you're late. It's probably $10 now. My kids are much older. But you'd be charged. And so therefore it's a quick, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. But if you met that same person in the park while the kids are on the swings, it would be a longer conversation. So we adjust and modulate constantly based on our cues as we're watching the person. So the people that you and I work with can have a disconnection anywhere in those pathways, in those domains, and everyone's unique. Mm -hmm. And it's our job as speech paths to find out what has broken down and where we can be of most help and and how we're going to help. So now what I want to do is put some human faces, I think. Mm -hmm. Do you you want to hear some stories of actual people? Yeah, yeah. I love the circles. I think that's such an important piece. And I really hope people do look at the show notes that they weren't able to visualize because I think it really speaks to how much is involved in communication. Because when we think of communication, often people will just think of like, oh, it's a voice thing or they have a hard time with the R or they stutter. But really looking at it from the perspective of cognitive. And I know we've talked about cognitive communication here. That is really the area that I work mostly in. And that's why I talk about executive functions and cognitive communication. And that's why it marries so nicely with coaching because there's a ton of overlap there. But then the communication piece of the speaking. And I love that you brought up that emotional piece because I think that emotional piece is definitely, I hear so often, they don't need help. They don't, why is a speech pathologist on the file? Why are they being referred to that? It's an emotional issue without understanding that that affects communication. And then lastly, of course, the physical. So I love thinking of communication and thinking of your own communication and the communication of people around you in terms of a breakdown can happen at any stage. And like you said, and then layer on the context, it's quite complex. 
it's, it's quite really complex. complex. Yeah. yeah. And and those of us, you know, who spend our lives in it are constantly evaluating and thinking, you know, most of us can really regulate and communicate very well when we have the time, mm-hmm. when we've got a plan in mind and when we're monitoring. But with mm-hmm. interruptions, with emotionally charged situations, with fatigue, those yeah. are the situations where we're not going to monitor. I, I yeah. worked with a fellow once and I loved, he was trying to explain to me why his communication always breaks down when he's talking with his parents. And he had a brain injury and he was quite eloquent when he wasn't emotionally charged, Mm -hmm. but really had trouble with tact and diplomacy. And so we came up with a saying, if you want tact, give me time. Yeah. Well, I think we could all use that. Yeah. I think, I think for all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yeah, let's dive into some stories. I know that you have worked with a lot of people who have been great examples of having resilience and and being able to reconnect and and build on that communication piece. Yeah. One of the first people that I I'd like to share a story about with you is, is Marg. And Marg was an amazing woman. She was a bit of a firecracker, I think pre-injury, but what happened happened is she had a stroke that left her unable to move anything but her eyebrows and her eyes consistently. Mm -hmm. And so there she was, this live wire in a body that wasn't cooperating with her. So again, you know, people make assumptions. And one of my main themes today is please don't make assumptions about thinking when someone's communication is broken down because their thinking is usually, in most cases, intact. Mm -hmm. But she was stuck in this body. So what happened was that in those days, you know, technology is improving, but in those days, I could see that she could use an eye chart, a spelling chart. Um, but we needed a, a better technology. To, and we, we looked and said, okay, what have we got? We've got eyebrows that move and glasses that move. And I partnered with a biomedical engineering student who, for $7.95 at Radio Shack, Radio Shack was a thing then, um, <laughs> made her a switch that attached to her glasses so that she could then spell and enter onto the computer. And that was a big deal in those days. So Mark began to write poetry one of the things that she wrote it was a poem that began why me Mm. and it ended with why not me Mm. I find that poignant because I think so many of us think that'll never happen to me I don't want to be that person in a long-term care bed etc and it's it's a gruesome thought nobody Mm -hmm. wants it I haven't met a single person who said, I always thought I'd be in this situation. You know? yeah. so when, it, when communication disability happens in your family, you know, I would like the community to be a little more ready for mm-hmm. supporting those folks. So, but Marg, she, she just got us organized. And in fact, she used to, on Mother's Day, she would go and visit prisoners in a local prison because she felt she was a prisoner in her body uh, and she wanted to go and comfort these, these oh, that's beautiful. awful prisoners. So, you yeah. know, that idea that there can be an amazing person in there with right. creativity and with a lot of compassion and also the idea of why not me? It can mm-hmm. happen to any of us. And, and um, I love making the assumption first that they they are in there as opposed yes. to making the assumption that they're not. Yes, yeah. which which brings us to the next story is someone who became my friend and was one of the reasons I became a speech pathologist. And so this story is about John Walker. 
And John uh, had cerebral palsy. He was one of four children. His mother also became my friend. So he was from a really bright, articulate, well-read family, you know, and there he was also a bright, articulate fellow stuck in this body that would not move the way he wanted it to. And in his, his case, he could move his hip to indicate when he wanted to acknowledge something. He could look to the right for yes and look to the left for no. And I didn't know that. I met him when I was working at, are you ready for this? The Crippled Children's Center. Oh my god! actually called it that. Wow. So we have come some way in the past yeah. 50 years or so, but we still have a long way to go in terms of equality and dignity. So anyway, I was a volunteer in his classroom and I wasn't provided with a communication plan for him. I had no idea. Could he understand me? Could he not? So I spoke to him because thankfully my grandmother had worked with people with disabilities and so she modeled that for me to speak directly to people. But not everyone knows that. You know? right. And so I spoke with him, but I really didn't have a full sense of his comprehension mm-hmm. until I went to him one day and said, John, I just discovered that your mother's in my class at university. And he went, you know, with yeah. that wonderful cerebral palsy celebratory yeah. voice. Yeah. And, and I realized he's in there. He's in yeah. there. And yeah. nobody told me he's in there. Yeah. And so flash forward a few years later where I was going into the hospital with him. He had to go in for a procedure. And the nurse looked at me instead of him. Mm-hmm. And she said, and does he understand everything that we're saying? And I said, yes, he's a genius. Mm-hmm. At which point he went, yeah. <laughs> and And so, you know, he made the point that, yeah, I get the joke. Right. Yes, yeah. I am a genius. And then she finally directed communication to him. So our second point, assume they're in there and mm-hmm. direct the communication to them. They're yes. a person. So imagine this guy, John, who is such an incredible bright light that his family, his family were incredible too. But again, this is in the days before technology. It's getting better, but it's mm-hmm. still a bit of a slog to get really good technology that's as nimble as the person's mind. But anyway, John had memorized, they found out that he had memorized all of the albums, all of the songs in all of the albums in his record collection. So imagine if you wanted to, let's say he wanted to get across the line, you know, and let it be the line, take a sad song, make it better. Let's right. say he wanted to get across that to cheer someone up. Mm-hmm. You would say, is it a group from A to M? And you go A, B. Okay, listeners, I want you all to move your hip when we get there. A, B, you know, is it, you know, is it, I I don't know who the first Bs would be, but then is it the Beatles? Move your hip again. Is it this album? Is it the White Album? Is it the Letter Album? And then you put the, and through this system, he wrote two books of poetry and he wrote a children's book. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So from his story, we get that idea of there is a way, there is a way to communicate, and it's up to us to have the creativity to find it. And we had better ways through technology. We just kept advancing with the technology for him. But unfortunately, we finally got him a Dynavox, which is a communication device, and he died the day before it was delivered. So, Uh. but again, the systems need to improve in supporting people. 
So John's book, he left a tremendous legacy and just showed so much about creativity. He was a friend of all kinds of musicians and artists and Mm -hmm. always surrounded by interesting people and uh, had a rich, rich life, despite a body that just didn't cooperate very much. Right. So another fellow that I'm thinking of to illustrate a totally different, the first two people were people where it was a very physical difficulty. So that physical circle in the model. This fellow, Daryl, his was is a communication difficulty from a stroke. He has aphasia, mm-hmm. like Bruce Willis, but no two people are exactly it's alike. Yeah. And that's another point is the in the need to individualize our assessment and the strategies. And in Daryl's case, he's the best gesture I have ever met. Charlie Chaplin to heck with it, or Groucho Marx, forget those guys. Daryl is a better gesture than any of them. We have amazing gestural conversations, but right now I'm trying to get more speech from him. I think what I find most fascinating is how do you ensure that someone with a communication disability is included? How do you make sure they participate? And I don't know that everybody really knows it. Do you you think people naturally jump in? I I think people naturally shy away. I think there's a sense of, and I don't think it comes from a place of unkindness. I think it comes from a place of, I just don't know what to do. I'm uncomfortable. And so it's easier to just ignore, avoid, not do. Yes, that fear really. Yeah. And actually I was reminded when I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about how can we ready the community a bit more to assist with that resilience. And I was reminded of a time when I went away with some friends of mine and we got to a bed and breakfast. And you don't know who the hosts are, so it's dark. It was a dark and stormy night. (laughs) And and we went down to this place by a river, and it's in a forest, and the wind is howling. And and we had to knock. We had to ring a bell. And all of a sudden, we heard thump, 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 thump. And the door opened, and the person said, come here. And my friends immediately pushed me forward. Because well, you're the speech it, pathologist. I don't understand what he said. <laughs> Is there a speech pathologist in the house? That's right. There <laughs> you go. And, and you know, he was really hard to understand. But when we sat down, and it turned out, I figured out it was pacing that he needed. It was Parkinson's, mm-hmm. and we did pacing where you're tapping out the syllables. So totally different strategy than the other people we were talking about. And uh, it turned out. And, and with the help of his wife as well, who did arrive eventually. In the beginning, we were alone with him. We found out he was a geology professor who had traveled all over the world and had Parkinson's disease, again, stuck in this body mm. that's not cooperating. Right. And we think it won't happen to anyone we know. And right. we hope it won't happen to anyone we know. But, you know, what can you do? Number one, assume competence. Mm-hmm. Number two, jump in and say, I don't understand you. Let's make this work. Be collaborative. Mm-hmm. Find a way to be collaborative mm-hmm. and admit that, okay, I want to get you. I know, I know you're right. trying to tell me something, but. You right. Know, yeah. And giving them the time to do that. I know sometimes there's a tendency for family members that if you have a family member who struggles with communicating and they're taking time 
or they are harder to understand, there's a tendency for the family member to jump in and to speak for them. And, And I think that we want to allow time, like get comfortable with silence, get comfortable with just letting the person know I'm listening. I'm here. I'm not in a rush and letting that family member know that's okay. I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to try to guess. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to communicate with this person here because I I mean, otherwise we're robbing them of their identity. And I think it's, it's something to consider. Absolutely. And sometimes when we meet with people with communication difficulties and we sit down with them, we begin by talking about what strategies to help them with their communication. But then we find out that what they really would like is for everyone in the family or communication partners who know and love them to slow down, to give them space, to stop jumping in. Mm -hmm. And so often what you and I do is write out a list of suggestions with the person and in in a coaching model at helping them to tell their family member, here's what helps me. Mm -hmm. Give me time. How much time? Mm -hmm. Like right there, I just waited to three beats, right? And it feels like a long time. It does. And, and you feel like, uh, does she yeah. want me to answer? I need to, you know, the yeah, pressure. Exactly. exactly. So, but 10 seconds sometimes, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, people with communication disabilities, right? Would you say yeah. about tech? I, I for sure would say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Like if we oh, were to do, yeah. if we were to do 10 seconds right now, you know, the editor would cut it right out, but that would you do it and just challenge him. But what happens is we're, we're uncomfortable with it and yeah. we don't like the feeling of mm. discomfort. And so we do anything that we can do. It starts to become not about the person. It becomes about us. I'm oh. uncomfortable. Oh, and so, so I want to break out of this silence because of my discomfort. We shift from understanding them to, I got to get out of my discomfort. Oh, that is such a great point. I so appreciate you you saying that and acknowledging the discomfort that we feel and how we try to fill that anything with, with silly jokes, with talking around the person. The most challenging thing is to sit and acknowledge I want to understand you. I'm having trouble right now. Here's some options. Am I right? And always verify, am I right? So I think the idea of, I guess we should maybe summarize some of the communication strategies for communication partners. And the first one we've talked about is acknowledging their competence. So I know you have something to say. I know you want to tell me something. It's speaking to them directly. The next thing is to give them time and to convey collaboration. This is something that Mark Ilvesacker, who's our, our wonderful mentor and teacher and coach, Mark Ilvesacker talks about the need to convey collaboration. And you think about that when you've been in a difficult time and someone says, let's work on this together, or I can help you. Do you want my help? We can solve this. 
together as opposed to a pity move or something along those lines. And I remember once I had a communication group here and we were playing Crokinole. It's sort of like curling, but okay. it's not on ice. It's on a board game. Oh, just okay. Okay. So, so we were playing this game in my office and it was young people. And I was, the activity was there just to get them communicating and connecting with each other. And one of the young women kept losing, really not doing very well. And she had a teammate who just looked at her and he said, Hey, I got your back. And I just thought, what a beautiful collaboration statement. That is. And she just, you know, relaxed. And we've all been in those situations where we're learning or where we're frustrated, Mm -hmm. whether it's with your IT person and your computer's not working. If they just say, okay, we can solve this, you know, some kind of word of collaboration. So acknowledge competence, collaboration, and then communication strategies. And you started with the first one, which is just slow down. Mm -hmm. The other is face to face. And for that, we were talking earlier about, you know, when people have hearing difficulties. Mm-hmm. In addition, I think we need to be face to face because we need to show our attention and minimize distraction. Exactly. And I actually worked with a young man who had, in addition to two other communication difficulties, he also had a hearing difficulty. And I asked him, how often do people sit with you face to face? And most of the staff in the residence where he lived would say something to him in passing as they were walking by. So we had him write up an evaluation tool, communication evaluation tool for his staff Mm -hmm. saying, how often does this person follow these guidelines face to face? Give me time. Tell me what you understand, what you don't. There's also a a really important one is to ask the person, show me, show if, if you can't tell me, show me. Right. Establish their yes, no connection. Show me how you indicate yes and no. Mm -hmm. Show me yes, show me no. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some can do that and some Mm -hmm. can't yet, but it's worth a try. And then there's a whole host, always pull out a piece of paper. Right. And pen, right? That's Mm -hmm. another one. And all of these are summarized in a handout called adaptive communication. So you can look at that list of strategies and try them out with people that you're concerned about or that you Mm -hmm. want to have a better connection with. Mm -hmm. I think even I, I look at now I do a lot of coaching as well. And anybody who works with me knows like my whiteboard is my favorite tool to use. Isn't it the best? Whether they have a disability or not, I am constantly, they'll be talking and I'll be like, let's go map this out. And I do think it's years of my training as being a speech pathologist, but I think it just shows the importance that we all communicate differently. Some of us are more visual, some of us more auditory. And so the more channels that we can bring up and that we can use the better. So whether somebody has a communication disability or not, it is beneficial that we are drawing on different channels to get our message across because sometimes people do need to see it, that they, oh, I never saw it. Now that you've put it on paper, how many times have you seen something like, oh, that's not what I thought, but now that I see it on paper and I can read it back to myself or I can look at it, that's not the message I was trying to convey or or anything like that. I think that the more we can bulk up using these strategies just in everyday conversation, I think think it's beneficial. 
keyword keyword writing and even putting things in organized frameworks like charts, etc., yeah. uh, or tables really helps with decision making. Whether you have a communication disability or not, uh, I think that can you know, save marriages, for example. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I totally agree. That's yeah, it. So, That's why yeah. it's so relevant. All these things that we're talking about, you know, if you think of being in a difficult conversation, and I'll be doing a podcast in a couple of weeks about that being in a difficult conversation. But okay. a lot of these strategies, slow it down, give it time. And when you're talking about using the the visual face to face, I think right away again of regulation and the idea of co-regulation, using that ability to co-regulate with each other by sending each other the message, I'm here, I'm present, I'm listening, we can calm down. It helps you that your nervous system is not thinking, I am in danger here. The other person is sending the signal, you're safe, we're safe, we're both safe in this environment in order for us to communicate. Calming the nervous system down so then we can get our thinking back online and get back to communicating the way we want to communicate. Yes, absolutely. I think that's great. You've really added to the whole picture of why that's so important to be face-to-face and even even when you're writing down too, I think you're showing the other person you're validating that you're hearing them. Exactly. And that validation is another thing that helps regardless of communication disability or not. Yeah. And that, that's why when, when you and I were talking last week, we were mm-hmm. chatting about sometimes the communications with people with communication disabilities feel more meaningful. There's some of the, the deepest, most present conversations mm-hmm. that I've had. And so it can be so rewarding. And why is it so rewarding? Well, first of all, it's dedicated time. You're Mm -hmm. sitting down, you're facing each other. You've conveyed that you want to get this. Mm -hmm. You're using creativity. You know, when a person says they they, they finally get a message across and you've got that eureka moment, it just, it feels so wonderful when you, I got it. I got what Mm -hmm. you meant. Mm-hmm. It's like I was thinking of it as Wordle on steroids, you know. I don't know if you're playing Wordle, but that feeling of I get you, I understand you. That moment of connection and bringing this back around to connection again mm-hmm. is that I think that in those conversations where you've had to work at it, and maybe this will be the case with some of the most difficult conversations when you talk about it next week too, when you've put in the time and you mm-hmm. really honored the other person's point of view. It's a real acknowledgement of who they are as a person, and it's about dignity and compassion. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking I'd just like to close with one more story mm, please um, do. about one of those most valuable kinds of conversation. And this was with a, a fellow named Doug. And what's fascinating is that I wrote this down a couple days ago thinking I would tell Doug's story. And I saw his wife the same day for the first time in, I think it was six years. It's meant to be. Tell the story. It's meant to be. This wonderful sharing of what was it that Doug did that drew people in. He had very few words. And, you know, often when I say to people, if you could only have five words that you would put on your communication device, all your communications taken away, what will your five words be? This really helps you to think about connection. You know, people will start by saying, oh, toilet, eat. No, that's not what you want to talk about. It's like putting COVID on your communication device. You don't want 
we're going to talk about that. So, I mean, you got to get it across somehow, but don't reserve it for the most important things. And the words he would always say is he would look at you with his hand pointing towards you and he'd say, and you, um. and people came from miles to visit him because they felt so connected and heard because mm-hmm. he listened and he always said, and you, and acknowledged your presence. And with very few words, he got us back to the most important thing about communication. That's it, the it's most important thing. It is, we're full yeah. circle to connection. Well, yeah. Sheila, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and expertise and the stories, to share the examples you and I had talked about. There's not a lot of attention, but attention sometimes is on celebrities. We named a few who have challenges, but it's really the everyday heroes. It's the everyday people who are finding ways of connecting with their communication disabilities, the caretakers, the caregivers, the people that are working, the people that are putting the effort in to communicate, to acknowledge that we want to know who you are inside and whatever way we can get that information from you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. But thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. I'm so excited about your work and I'm going to be listening to your next podcast because I think uh, you've really broadened this to look at communication in the wider sense. Right, right. And, and how important it is in creating our, our communities and and in resilience too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For people listening, where can they find you, your website? Oh, it's uh, brainandcommunication.ca is my website. If speech paths are there and want to take courses, then there's a connection there to that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate also all the people that you shared the stories about. We want to acknowledge them for having lived the experience and sharing those stories. So thank you. And we will see everybody next time as we continue talking more about communication. Have a good week. Hey, thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.